you. I told you guys that our young people are writing some really anointed songs. And uh, that one was written by Rachel. Um, It's just like, it's just flowing and, and there's so many and we have more coming, just really powerful um, with depth, powerful messages with depth being written and songs that we can focus on and sing. I'm looking forward to someday soon being able to get, uh, get it all on, you know, CDs or on iTunes and where people can pull, you know, pull them down and enjoy them. Well... Good morning, family. Um, I don't know if you noticed this last week, so many things have happened, and this isn't my message, but since we have talked about end times things coming along, and uh, this, you know, what has happened in the UN, the UN had six resolutions against Israel, and and one of them was um, that uh, the Temple Mount is only for Muslims. Um, it's not for Jews, and they're not to be, you know, considering um, the Temple Mount as a place where they could worship. Another resolution was uh, to give away the Golan Heights was not theirs. Considering the fact that the Golan Heights is where the um, Syria was launching missiles from that mountain on into Israel and uh, launching them from there, and they took it from them because they were using it in such a way and to tell them now they have to give it back? I don't think so. But what you are seeing also is uh, our president now has told uh, Israel that they are not just to um, expand into what they call the occupied area. Um, No more homes being built, no more, you know, apartments and so forth. And uh, Israel is saying, well, it's our land, it's not yours. And uh, and so what we're seeing is the world. You know, Israel, the UN has, um, has, give, has had more resolutions against Israel than any other nation. I mean, nations that have had genocide and all kinds of other things. Um, in fact, the nearest, the closest one, they, they are six times more resolutions by the United Nations against Israel than any other nation. So what, what we're seeing is really what the Bible says in the last days is going to happen. All the nations of the world will come against that little nation, Israel. And, uh, and things are just lining up that way. And I thought I'd just bring it up. There's other things happening that we won't have time. And maybe after the first year, we'll do uh, a little bit more update on that. But that's, uh, that, that's just a side note. Um, the portion of scripture we're in today, oh wow, you, I love this portion of scripture. And it so ties in, as we are, we're walking through the book of Colossians, it so ties in with the season as we're looking at uh, s- celebrating uh, the birth of Christ. So we're in Colossians chapter 2, and if you have your Bibles or your digital Bible, why don't you get it out? You can follow along. I know it's on the screen, but it's always good to have things where you can take notes and, and, uh, and so forth. It's helpful for you to study it. Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 1, Heavenly Father, we ask that you would help me to communicate the truth Lord God, that you reveal, and, uh, and Lord, help us to hear what you would speak to our hearts this morning in Jesus' name. So Paul has been, and, and last week we talked a little bit about this, this hope that is, that, that the, the scripture says that people looked into and no one could get it. I mean, you look through the Old Testament, all the great saints never we're able to get this truth that is now, as he's revealing it, it's God is revealing it to the saints, to believers. So we have something of an understanding, because now we look back, that they could have never imagined. They could have never imagined. And that was Christ in us, the hope of glory. That, that, that the Lord would actually unite with our spirit. And that's what happened in the sacrifice of Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, 
it wasn't just that he was taking the sins of the world, it's how he was taking the sins of the world. He was taking the sins of the world upon himself, but at the same time, providing a means by which it was applied to our life. See, him dying on the cross doesn't forgive everyone their sins. It, it is enough to forgive everyone of their sins. His death on the cross, but the means by which that then becomes applied to our life has to do with the fact that when we, by faith, receive Christ, he places his spirit in us, and that union now applies the work of Jesus on the cross to our life. In fact, as God sees it, he sees it that we were you. We're united with Christ, so his death now applies to our life. And even in a technical sense, um, we ourselves have died with Christ. I mean, the, 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 the death that Jesus died is applied to our life because he's in us, and so we have died. I, Paul said that this way, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ that lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So that application of the work that when Jesus died on the cross happens when we are born again because his spirit is united with our spirit. And if you, if you understand that, you're getting the real understanding of the message of the gospel and what that is all about for our lives. And so... He starts off um, and says in verse 1, I want you to know what a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea, and for as many as I have not seen uh, have not seen my face in the flesh. And we said already that Paul never been to Colossae, he's never been to this church. It was birthed because of the revival that happened in Ephesus when he was pastoring. And people who got saved went out different places. And one of the places they went was Colossae and started the church there. But he himself had never been there. I'm sure um, news about who he is had gone out and the Colossians knew who he was, but he had never seen them. And he wanted to see them. And he says, I have this great conflict because I, you know, I can't see you face to face for all of those. He says, that, and, and, and this is it, that their hearts may be encouraged. He says, I, my desire is to encourage you. I'd like to be there to encourage you. I wish I could be there so I could face to face encourage you. And this really speaks to the value of, of presence. It's the value of community, the value of people being together. Now, he's, you know, he's texting them if you would, or he's on Facebook with them, but he doesn't see them face to face. You see, they're watching on YouTube, but it's not the same. You understand? It's not the same. And, and so um, if you, you know, and I'm thankful for those things because he couldn't get there. I was, uh, there was a, someone who had, has part of our church who recently had been very, very sick. And because of the what they've been going through, they have not been able to go to church. And I'm grateful that they can get, you know, that online. I'm grateful for that. And I'm thankful for that. But they would say, as I'm saying, it's not the same. And that's what Paul's saying. I wish I could just be there with you, but I'm, here's my best that I can. He's in prison. That's why he can't be there. And he's, but I can write you and I can tell you and I can try to encourage you. And how valuable is encouragement? We need to be encouraged. People, you're, we're supposed to actually be, um, be ministers of encouragement. The, the, the Bible actually tells us, when it tells us that we're to come together in Hebrews chapter 10, it, it tells us that we gather together for the, for, for the encouragement so that we might encourage one another, the scripture says, unto uh, works and uh, love and good works. And so our, our gift it, as you'd say, our gift. Now, some people have the gift of encouragement. I mean, they're really, you know, you know those people, they're really good at encouraging. I mean, they just have the, an ability just to build you up, just to be, you're in their presence, you feel good just by being near them. But all of us have the ability to encourage others. And it's a mindset. You know, it, it is a mindset to encourage. Paul's mindset was he wanted to encourage people. He wanted to build them up and encourage them in their faith. 
and, and uh, strengthen them. He says, being knit together in love. So he's, he's saying, I, I, I want to encourage you and I would like to be there so that we could be knit together in love and attain all the riches. Now say all the riches. All the riches. All riches, he says, of the full assurance. There is, there is something so more valuable than anything else in this world. And, and you can't buy it. You can't earn it. The richest people, Elon Musk can't afford it. You cannot get this by, by any amount of purchase. And, and it's, what it is is the full assurance that God wants. Paul is desiring that he, what he wants is to be able to give people the full assurance. Now, we talked about his ministry that last, last week we talked about the fact that he was grateful for the suffering. And we said, that seems crazy. But he was grateful for the suffering, he said, for your sake. He was grateful because he knew that the suffering that he went through was because that he had put everything out to give them the, get them the gospel, to give them the truth. And he, it was worth it to him. Going to prison was not a, a, a big deal. I mean, obviously going to prison is a big deal, but it wasn't a big, as a big deal to him as it was to get the message out. And he was willing to do that knowing it was going to happen again. In fact, he went, he, he went to Jerusalem at one point knowing, because it was prophesied, if you go there, they're going to bind you. You're going to end up in prison. It's going to end up taking your life. And he says, I would die, I die willingly to be able to preach the gospel to my fellow, you know, countrymen. He's, uh, so he, nothing stopped him. He says, stop trying to break my heart. They're prophesying, telling him what's going to happen. He says, stop it. I already know. I know. I'm probably going to go to prison. But I got to go preach the gospel. That kind of passion comes out of full assurance. That's the kind, that, uh, see, that's the full assurance, the full assurance of understanding. Now, now he's going to give a little bit more about that full assurance, but it's full assurance of the nature and character of God, who God is. I'm, well, you're confident, you know God and the reality and the truth, and we'll read a little bit about that in a second. But the full assurance also of salvation. So assured, fully assured. Be, because once that is settled, information, Settled. Is it settled for you? Once it's settled, everything in your life changes. Everything. As long as there's doubt in that, as long as there's a lack of full assurance, if it's a partial assurance, then you will be wavering all of your life and you'll be subject to deception. And that's one of the things he says. What does full assurance look like? Well, let me show, Paul actually gives us a little bit of insight what full assurance. See, full assured people, in Romans chapter 8, verse 37, here's a fully assured guy sharing. And he says this, yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am fully assured. I am persuaded, he says. Full assurance that neither death nor life. So let, let, let me tell you where he's, gonna, he's going with this. That, that God, God's love will separate. That nothing will separate us from the love of Christ. And he goes, I'm assured that death or life. I mean, in life, there's a lot of challenges, aren't there? He says, and in death, well, death. That's kind of the final enemy of our lives is death. He says, it doesn't, it's not going to separate us. I'm just, I'm just absolutely convinced that death and life is not going to separate me from the love of God. Nor angels are principalities. Angels are demonic spirits. But what is in the spiritual realm is not going to be able to separate me from the love of God. All the accusations of the devil and his kingdom doesn't separate. It doesn't phase God in his love for me. 
So even when the enemy is constantly accusing me of all my failures to God, when the enemy is trying to accuse me, to me, of all my failures and inadequacies, it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't phase God at all in his love. See, he says, he says, nor powers, he says, nor things present, nor things to come. There's nothing in the future. Are you worried about now? That God doesn't, well, you, you, you don't maybe feel his love. Is he not loving you? Does God, has God given up on loving you? What about the future? What about if you, well, what if, if, if God loves you now, then he's already accepted your past. He still loves you. And then, but what about what I could do? It's the future. He says, no, neither present nor things to come. There's nothing in the future that separates you from the love of God. And so he says, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing. That kind of covers it. Any other, anything created cannot separate me from the love of God. Which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, that's full assurance. That, that, that's what he's saying. He says, I'm, I'm absolutely persuaded. I, I'm, this is settled for me. I don't doubt this anymore. And if you're not there, you, this is what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do. He wants to settle it in your heart. He wants to get that settled in such a way that that is not an issue ever again in your life. It's not an issue for your future. It's not an issue now that is done with. That, the love, that God loves you and you're absolutely convinced of that. And there's nothing that happens to you or, or that can happen to you that will ever affect God's love for you. He loves you. He loves you and he is sold on loving you. And that's the full assurance and understanding, he says, and, and, to, and to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Now, there are, he talks about this mystery. This is a different mystery than the one that, that they were all looking into, the mystery revealed, Christ in us, the hope of glory. But there is also another mystery. This is the mystery of the Father and the Son. And he, so he says, uh, to... to, to um, to, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. What's the mystery? Well, the mystery has to do with who he is, who God is revealed, who Jesus is revealed. Um, look at verse 3. It says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I want you to see that it's a whom and not a what. This, what this does is all the hidden wisdom, treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in a person. It's not a thing. It's not a creed. It's not, it's not anything but him. He is, it's a whom, is all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, human wisdom always comes short. Always comes short. And who's the smartest person that ever lived on the planet? I mean, as far as we know, biblically, we've, uh, it was probably Solomon. He was a really, really wise guy. Um, I say that in both ways. He is a really wise guy. But he was, he was he, what wisdom God had, in fact, the Bible says. I mean, other than Christ himself, um, he was the wisest man. But, you know, we, we look at and we look up to those who have great wisdom or great knowledge. We look at and we see people and probably, you know, we have, we have those that, that the world puts up, scientists, people like Einstein and Isaac Newton. Brilliant, brilliant. I, mean, I think Isaac Newton was probably the smartest guy. Um, I put him above Einstein because Einstein built on Isaac Newton. But 
but I, I think of the two. I mean, I just think of others that we don't know about, people we maybe we've never heard of. Just want you to know, just ask this question. Do you think God was impressed with Einstein's brilliance? I mean, did he go, wow, man, are you smart? <laughs> right? I mean, in, in all of his brilliance, it's like God was probably just shaking his head. No, you got that wrong, buddy. You haven't got a clue. You know, I'm glad you're getting to where you are, but God is not even a little bit impressed with human wisdom. And it's so limited. And the way God puts it, in fact, in, in 1 Corinthians 1.21, it says, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. It says human wisdom, and God is not against human wisdom. It's not like God, or human knowledge, I should say. God's not against knowledge. In fact, the Bible says get knowledge, get understanding. It's a good thing, not a bad thing. But if you look at real wisdom, real wisdom is wisdom of God and wisdom, and it's knowledge of God and wisdom of God. That that is not determined by the intellectual abilities of any human being. I mean, the you know the 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 the, the gamut of brilliant to simple-mindedness and everything in between. You find people who are brilliant with God in that and wise with God and throughout that entire thing, ignorant of the things of God. From what I read of even Einstein, I'm not trying to pick on him, he's a brilliant man, but he was ignorant of the things of God because it doesn't come that way. And some of the simplest people are the wisest in the things of God. And that's, that's the point here. God has never been impressed with any human being's personal wisdom or knowledge. He has been impressed, though, with people's faith. In fact, on several occasions, Jesus made mention of people who he said had great faith. In one occasion, he says, I've not found this kind of much faith, this kind of faith in all of Israel. Say, so look, then he looked at someone who was a Gentile who had faith, great faith. Jesus was impressed with faith. He was never impressed with human knowledge because faith actually, I mean, Faith is the is a conduit of of real wisdom and knowledge in God, and so he 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 speaks out. He speaks of the value of a relationship with God because it's in Him that we get this. It's in that relationship with God. It's in that wisdom. It's 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 not human smarts. It's it's God's wisdom that comes and. And he says in verse four, now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words. Because there are really smart human beings who are really dumb about spiritual things and very ignorant. And so you have persuasive talkers and you'll run across persuasive talkers. And if you do not have God's wisdom, you'll be persuaded by the persuasive talkers. You'll go like the sheep to the slaughter. I mean, the, the, you know, you, you'll get sucked in because you don't have the wisdom of God from his word and from the revelation that comes from the Holy Spirit. And you just get sucked into things and people are. They're sucked into by the, the, the deception of persuasive words that it says right there. Because some people are gifted. They're gifted, but they have not used their gift for the kingdom of God. They've used it for their own uh, you know, uh, promotion, self-promotion. I heard it said that Hitler was probably one of the most persuasive communicators uh, ever. He, he certainly was in his time. He was a persuasive, I mean, he got, he, he was able to persuade people to do the most evil things 
And we, we put him, there's all kinds of per persuasive people today in all, all around that can persuade people to do things that are contrary to God's word and God's will. And, and, and it even sounds good. Some of it, I don't know, it, it just sounds stupid to me. I mean, how many genders are there? Like one million, I've heard people, there's a million genders. Now, the way it's portrayed sometimes, people, you know, sounds persuasive. The, the Bible says that there's two. There's male and female. That, that's how many there are. Just two. <laughs> I thought it was funny because the French, I mean, are there any group of people more liberal than the French? I mean, you know, France is, you know, France and, and uh and the Netherlands and all of that, they think we're crazy in America. I mean, they think we've gone too far. How do you have, you know, all the, uh, you know, they're going, all these genders, what, what, what's with you people? Now, if they're questioning us, we've gone too far. But, but more than that is the idea, just the concept. I want you to catch that. I'm using that, but there are so many different ways in which the philosophy of the world gets into our thinking, and we, and, and we subtly, we hear it, it sounds good, it sounds persuasive, and it gets us to a place, but it's contrary to the will of God and the word of God. And so, he says, lest anyone deceive you, should deceive you with persuasive words, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit. Although I can't be there, I just want you to know I'm with you, rejoicing to see your good order and steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive Christ Jesus as Lord? It's per, this is pretty simple, but I'm not going to ask you to answer because here it is. It's really, how did you receive Christ Jesus as Lord? By faith. By faith. You received Jesus by faith. So, how did you receive Christ? Did you receive Christ because you were a pretty good person? And you were, you know, I mean, the reason why you're saved is because you, you're kind of better than most. Is that, that why? Is it because you've lived such a pure life that that's why? It's because you've been such a hard worker and doing the things that would please God that you've been working hard and, and that's why you receive, how you receive Christ? No. I don't want to offend anybody, but you're scum of the earth. We all are in our sin compared to the holiness of God. There's nothing about us that God would desire us. Really. I mean, listen, this is, this is the creator of the universe. We're dumb, we're ignorant, we're sinful. What kind of mercy and grace lowers, comes down to that level? God. God. And we aren't saved by anything else other than the grace of God through faith in his son. And so, why would we then pick up some other way in which we ought to live out our lives. And that's the point. There are those telling them, yeah, 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 okay, you have Jesus, but he's not enough. Jesus is not enough. What you really need to do is you've got to take up these other things. You've been you're missing out. Listen, these are, there, there are things that God has revealed himself to the Jews, and there, were, there are ceremonies and different things that they, they uh, had to do. Now you have Jesus, but you've got to do all these other things. And you need to keep evaluating yourself because you might not be right in the works category that will keep you saved. And you weren't in the works category that got you saved. So why would you want to be in the works category to get you saved? You are in the faith category that received Christ by faith. 
So now you want to live out your life in the faith category. Jesus has done it for me. I'm going to follow him. Does that mean you don't live godly lives? No, you do because you already are in the faith category. It's not for. It's because of. You don't live for your righteous standing with, with God. You live because of your righteous standing in God. So he's saying, don't let anyone deceive you on this. He says, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In him dwells all the fullness of deity. There's really no other way to interpret that. Here's the scripture. Jesus is God, fully. How much is Jesus God? Partially? A portion? Kind of like God? Um, Just kind of a, you know, a look-alike? All the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in Christ bodily. In that baby, we're, this is, we're, we're celebrating Christmas. And we look and there's that manger scene. I have one in the, my front yard, you know, lit up. A manger scene. The little baby. We're reminded that that baby, what dwelt in that little baby is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Not, don't diminish that. You remember I said that, that the mystery that is revealed, the mystery of God, the mystery of the God and, and, and Christ, the mystery of God and Christ is this, that Jesus was God in human form. And that it was God whom sacrificed for us. It says in Isaiah 9, 6, one of those beautiful Christmas verses we always use, but it says, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder, and his name we called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Yes. Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Titus 1.13 says, Look, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from, from every lawless deed, purify for himself his own special people, zealous for, the, for good works. This is what, who, who is it? It's a great God and Savior. That's who he is. He's a great God and Savior. Jesus. See, if he wasn't a man, he couldn't redeem us. It had to be a man who lived out a sinless life. If he wasn't God, he could not forgive us. Only God could forgive sin. Because only sin, sin is, God is the only one who has been offended by sin. So, He says in verse 10, and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. You, this is what he's wanting to get them. He wants them to be fully assured of this. In other words, he wants you to be fully assured of this. You're complete in Jesus. You're complete in Jesus. I hear people say this about some, you know, they fall in love and they say, you've heard this, it's kind of cheesy and go, you complete me. <laughs> you complete me. No. He completes me. Fully. He's the one who completes me. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, you are complete in him who is the head of all principalities and powers. And in him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands. You know the circumcision of, of the 
of, of the Old Testament saints? Well, you have a different kind of circumcision. It's, a, it's without hands. It's putting off the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. See, God's, Christ circumcises our heart. And, and he says, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through the faith of, in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Now, the baptism you're talking about is not water baptism. It's the baptism into the body of Christ. That when you were saved, you were baptized. It wasn't water baptism. You were baptized in a union. See, you were, that means to be immersed. You're immersed in Christ. And when you accepted Christ, Christ came in you and you came in him. And you're one with him. That's the baptism. Water baptism is a symbol of what happened. You already received Christ. You've already been baptized. Water baptism is we take you down like, you know, you died and you were buried, and, and then we raise you up to newness of life. See, that's a symbol of actually what already happened when you said yes to Jesus. You died with him, and you raised from the dead. And you being dead in your trespasses and uncircumcision of your flesh, he has made alive together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, having wiped out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and has made it out of the, taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. The law doesn't condemn you anymore. It doesn't condemn you anymore. You have, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You've been set free from the law of sin and death. Does that mean the law has no value? No, it does. It has wonderful value. We see the moral character of God revealed in the law. There's great things in the law, but it's not what redeems you. And then I, I love verse 15. This, this, I'm, I, this is the last verse, but I just want to tell you, I love this verse. Having disarmed principalities and powers. See, he took away their Second Amendment rights. See, you, you, you never want that to happen in your nation. I know that sounds political. It's the one thing that keeps a nation from tyranny. And, and I think we're starting to see how easy that could happen. You know, I'm going sideways a little bit, but our forefathers was, were wise in wanting a republic and not a democracy. We are not a democracy, we're a republic. Because here's the problem with democracy, mob rule. Once you have over 50%, you control. And if you have more than that, you can pretty much do anything. And if you have a disarmed, if you have a disarmed public, then it's so easy to take complete control of. We've watched it around the world, all around the world, over and over again. Okay, that's my little thing. I'm getting off back. <clears throat> he disarmed principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them. This is what, when Rome, this, you know, during this time was, when, when Rome would go out and they had, they would conquer a land. You know, this land would fight against them. They'd conquer them. Then they would publicly humiliate the nation. They would take their leaders. They would take their military. They would strip them naked. They would tie them together. And they would march them all the way from their land, all the way to Rome. They would go through the gates of the city as they marched in. And the people would mock them as they're coming in humiliate them. They hated them. The imps of hell were cheering when Jesus was stripped and hanging on the cross. The Bible tells us in, in 1 Corinthians 2, 7, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages um, uh, for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew. 
For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. As they were humiliating him, they didn't know that he was going to conquer them. This, uh, you know, completely um, um, disarm them and march them through the city naked. Making a public spectacle of the demonic strongholds. The demonic spirits disarming them, triumphing over them in it. This is what Jesus did. Your enemy, he's lost, he's lost his real power. Do you understand? This is what Paul is wanting them to understand. Don't you know who your Lord is? Don't you understand who lives inside of you? Don't you understand what he has done for you? Don't you understand the victory you have won? You see, the only thing left for the enemy who's already lost is to try to keep as many people as possible from understanding, having full assurance of what Jesus has done for you. He wants to keep people from having full assurance he, he wants, he'll do everything he can to kind of mock and, 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 dis, and, and give disinformation. That's kind of a big word right now. Everything's about disinformation. Everybody's given disinformation. Let me tell you, there is a disinformation. It's an information that tells you Jesus Christ is not Lord. That's the information that tells you that he didn't die for all of your sins. It's a disinformation that tells you you somehow still have to try to find a way to please God and, 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 and find a way to heaven because it isn't enough. It's a disinformation that the one who died for you didn't create the universe. It's a disinformation that says that that one who died for you, he doesn't love you. That's not true. It's not true. And Paul screaming from his heart, I wish I could even be there. I know it'd be better. I'm gonna write, I'm gonna tell you as much as I can. I just wish I was with you to encourage you and to tell you. Jesus is Lord. He did fully Pay the price. The imps of hell are defeated. And you're more than a conqueror through him who loves you. Father, I thank you. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit will reveal what we cannot learn on our own. Lord, I pray this morning, wherever there has been those who have not come fully in, to the resting assurance of what you did for us when you died on the cross, Jesus. There's still deception. There's still lies. There's still things that come at us. And Lord, we have not settled it fully. I pray today you'd reveal the truth. Set people free from the doubts, Lord, and the lies so that we can rest with a grateful heart as Paul says, with thanksgiving because, Lord, of the wisdom and knowledge that you comes in Jesus Christ, our Lord. Lord, we seek after you. We desire you above all things. We give you praise, God, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. <clears throat> you know, folks, it always goes back. The focus is not things. It's a person, right? It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Let's lift up our hearts to him. It's Jesus at the center of it all. It's Jesus at the center of it all From beginning to the end It will always be, it's always been you, Jesus Jesus 
Jesus at the center of it all. It's Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else Jesus, you're the center. Oh, everything revolves around you. Jesus, you. Jesus, be the center of my life. Lord, I pray. Oh, Jesus, be the center of my life. To the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, nothing else matters. No, nothing in this world will do. Jesus, you're the center, and everything revolves around you, oh Jesus, you, so from my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center, it's all about you, yes, it's all about you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center, it's all about you, yes it's all about you. From my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center, it's all about you, yes it's all about you. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made it, when it's all about you. It's all about you. I'm coming back. So I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made, but it's all about you. It's all Let's sing that again. I'm coming back. Lift your voice. I'm coming back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've made, but it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about you. It's all about you. Oh, be the center of it all. So, Jesus, be the center of your church. We pray, Jesus, be the center of your church. Oh, every knee will bow. Yes, every tongue shall confess you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. 
Jesus, the name of Jesus, no other name, Jesus. So from my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center, it's all about you, yes it's all about you, from my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center, it's all about you, yes it's all about you, from my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center, all about you, yes it's all about you, so from my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center, all about you, yes it's all about you. Praise the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 God bless you, church. Merry Christmas. See you. And so from my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center. It's all about you. Yes, it's all about you. From my heart. To the heavens, Jesus be the center, all about you, yes it's all about you, from my heart to the heavens, Jesus be the center, all about you, yes it's all about you, from my heart to the heavens. 